I wanted to start out, first of all, by saying that it's a, it's a joy to be up here. Um, I am not a pastor by trade, um, so you'll have to bear with me as we go through this. Um, but I do hope that through this, we'll be able to experience God's Word a little deeper today. So, um, as I said, just bear with me as we go through this. Um, one of the joys of, of Phil and the love I have for him is he gives me Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, it's also quite longer than other books of the Bible. So there is that. Um, I wanted to start out and just kind of share with you a little story. When I was a kid, I, had, I was blessed to have many men that could speak into my life. Um, I was very fortunate. And one of them that from an early age, I can remember, he was like Superman to me. But he wasn't Superman in that he wore a cape or had a chiseled physique. He was Superman in that he could take a pile of lumber and some nails and build anything out of it. So from an early age, I could see him come together and make a rocking chair or make a magazine rack. It was the 80s, so people had magazine racks. Or he could, he could make anything. When, I, when it came time for me to be a Cub Scout and we were doing the Pinewood Derby, I could have the coolest car in the world. And it also helped because he built the track, so I had an upper hand on everything. But in that, I learned so much knowledge about how to use a hammer, a nail, what it meant to have vice grips and how to measure, how to cut, all these different things, and it stuck with me. And to this day, it's something that has resonated. And part of the reason it stuck with me as long as it has is because it was my father. My dad taught me these things. He brought me along. As a, as a child, I can remember him doing odd jobs on the side to help provide for our family. And a little kid, I could come along and help him hang crown molding in someone's house and be rewarded with a a Coke and some Big League Chew or something like that. But more importantly, I was rewarded with the time and the relationship. And in that, I learned so much knowledge comes from not just a book, from not just how we can find information, but it comes from a relationship and it comes from a deeper understanding that can only come if you're blessed to have someone who is investing in you to gain that knowledge. Recently, Angie and I celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary and I think part of the reason this really sticks with me is um, I'm a traditionalist. 17th wedding anniversary is furniture. I don't know if y'all know this, but I have four kids, so it wasn't really the best time to buy any furniture. So I said, you know what? I can build something. And my seven-year-old, Samantha, took this with me, and she took this challenge by, by heart, and she jumped in. And I was able to show her how to measure and cut wood. I was able to show her what it meant to make a mistake, and how you could either tweak your plans to fix that mistake or how you learn from those mistakes so you didn't have to go through it again. I still have a daughter who is plenty fond of taking a scrap piece of wood and pounding a nail into it, so Angie's got that to deal with in the garage, but that's a whole other story. Um, All this is to say that I just really want to come back to the fact that wisdom is more than just knowledge. It's also built on a relationship. So I want us to take that away as we look at this passage. So as we look at it, I want you to... Actually, another confession. I was trying to be a good Presbyterian. I really was. And so I came up with three points. And those are listed in the, in the bulletin, in the outline. But I'm going to take a little bit of liberty with my three points. I'm going to use that as a guide. But I want you to write down two things for me, if you're writing down. Quite simply, write the blank, a blank space, and wisdom. 
and then leave yourself a gap, and then put in the, and then another blank, I want you to write in the word relationship. Okay, we'll get back to the blanks in a little bit. So let's talk about this passage. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So let's first remember, where's this coming from? Well, this is David, and Psalm 119 is a collection of David's prayers, right? So one thing we know is this is David later in life. David obviously has a lot more wisdom than I do, so I think he probably had a greater appreciation for the love of the law. But let's dive in a little bit and understand why he's excited about this. This is this first passage, oh, how I love your law. This is an exclamation point at the end. This isn't a period. This is something that he is embodied with. He loves it so much that it says that he meditates on it all day. As I said, I'm not a pastor. I, 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 I can facilitate better than I can preach, but one of the things I would ask you, if we could, is what do you meditate on all day? If I ask for a show of hands, which I'm not, I'm going to guess most people aren't going to raise their hand and say they meditate on the law all day. I see too many moms, too many dads, too many people working, and the simple fact is, is that we have our sin nature kicking in as well. But this is what David's prayer is. His prayer is that he loves the law so much that he wants to meditate on it all day. Um, to me, that just amazes me. He goes on to say that his commandments makes him wiser than his enemies. Um, you know, because his, his, in, wiser than his enemies. I'm just going to kind of stop for just a second. Think about this. Enemies, do we have enemies? Do we feel like we have enemies? I think we all have enemies. Sometimes we identify enemies different ways. Maybe it's competition. Maybe it's that, that person at school who makes a, an A after they cheated. Maybe it's the person in the boardroom who happened to steal the deal from you. What is your enemy? They're out there. He goes on to say that my, I have more understanding than all of my teachers. Okay, we've got some kids in the, in the audience. They're getting ready to start back school. What would be the point if they were wiser than their teachers, right? Um, but imagine that we have an ability to attain that kind of wisdom. It says, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Now, the aged, I look in this room and I think either my father-in-law or John Hildreth. Um, sorry. I have to bring a little bit of lightness to this as we go through. But the truth of the matter is, is that Dave is talking about the, the, the oldest of the olds, the wisest of the wise in this time. And even the wisdom that they contained, that they had in their life, he could gain more wisdom through the precepts of God. Okay, so as we look at this, these four verses together, there's a common theme. That theme is wisdom. I know. What is, what is this law? What is this wisdom that he's talking about? So I wanted to backtrack a little bit for my own benefit, and I looked, looked up the law. thought I would get a good understanding of it. So I looked at uh, Merriam-Webster's definition, and there's a lot of definitions as far as a, a, a binding custom or a practice of community or how we keep people in the right versus the wrong. Um, but the, the simple truth is, is it comes back to um, that it's often capitalized, and it's the revelation of the will of God set forth in the Old Testament. Um, and that's what it refers to as the, as the Torah, which is another section that you sometimes will see in the, in the book of Psalms. Um, 
But it's more than that. It's more than just the revelation of the Old Testament. And what it actually is, is if we look at it further, is it's talking about not only God's commands, but it's God's word, it's, God's, it's the scriptures, the stories that come from that. It is the whole embodiment of the Holy Spirit in us becomes his law. So that's a lot to digest. So let's try to unpack that just a little bit. And Psalm 119 does that, and I would encourage you to read 119 in its entirety if you have more time than I'm allotted, um, because it focuses on a few things that I think will help you understand the law. And in that, what the revelation that we're talking about here to David really focuses on these ten items. I'm going to run through the list real quick, but I'm going to focus on the law. It's his law, his way, his testimonies, his commandments, his precepts, his word, his judgments, his righteousness, his statutes, and lastly is his providence. And if you want that list, again, I encourage you to read 119. It's all in there. Um, so we've got the law. So what does it mean in, to, for the law? We've, we've got this idea of wisdom. We've got the idea of law. So David loves the law. Now we know David wasn't perfect. We know that... Um, well, there's a Nathan in the Bible that spoke to some of this as well. Um, not that I'm claiming to be him. Uh, but in this, what does it mean to be, to be wise, to be in that law? What does it mean to be a scholar in the law? Because that's really what David's talking about here in his first four verses of this passage. Is He's really looking at, he wants to dive in deeper. He wants to grow more in his knowledge. Well, first of all, I want to separate out a little bit of legalists. And this is the, maybe it's the, I grew up Baptist, so I'm going to, kick away some of the legalism in there. But do we really want to get hung up in the law or a legalist perspective of it? And quite simply, as far as legalism is concerned, it's a doctrine of salvation that's gained through good works. So do we believe that God requires good works from us to gain entrance into heaven? Quite simply, we could say maybe. <laughs> yes, God commands us to follow his laws. But he doesn't, I don't think that there's any expectation whatsoever that comes through this passage and looking at David's life that we will ever attain full, 100% compliance to following his law. We have grace. We have that. And so I want to separate that out and go ahead and dismiss any idea of legalism as we look through this passage as far as any type of entrance into heaven. And instead, let's focus back on what it means to be a scholar. So once again, I love the law. I meditated on all day. The meditation demonstrates here David's love for the law beyond simply just reading it. This is not his Bible study in the morning. This is not him waking up, going through some passages. This is something that is in him. Um, one of the things that this passage truly um, emulates all the way through this, these verses is the fact that the Spirit, the law, God is in David. It is his heart. It consumes him. It is more than just a head knowledge. We get wrapped up oftentimes in a head knowledge. We get wrapped up a lot of times in a knowledge that I like to claim is the Google knowledge. We're scholars of the internet. But are we scholars of God? Are we scholars of his law? What's the difference? Well, the difference, in my opinion, from looking through this, is, is the idea of something that's permanent versus something that's fleeting. Too often we are identifying in our lives, hey, I need to fix this. How do I fix it? I go to Google, 
I fixed it, I moved past it. Maybe I moved past it because it's going to become obsolete in five days. Maybe I moved past it because I'll never fix it again. Or we become, we become wrapped up in something that's fleeting. For example, I'm a Clemson fan, got a little bit of a diehard. I spend probably way too much time working on my head knowledge around the upcoming football season. All that's fleeting. It'll be gone in six months. Is that eternal? Is that something that will fill my heart? The simple answer is, is it gives me a bit of happiness, but that's it. It's fleeting. So, I'm not David, and I'm not sure how to I feel like I just got mic'd up a little bit. Um, forgive me, but why do we need this wisdom? And this is that blank wisdom that I referred to earlier. Well, let's look at the passage a little bit and see if we can gain some further understanding. We need to be wiser than our enemies. Again, I don't have enemies that I like to... I know they're out there, but they manifest themselves differently. It's the competition at work. It's the guy who's undermining me. It's um, Sometimes it's Satan just grabbing a hold through what I perceive to be a friend. They're all out there. So it gives us the opportunity for us to be wiser than our enemies that are ever with me. It gives us an opportunity to break the foothold because we have the wisdom inside of us. Um, we can be, we can look at it from the teachers and the elder side. Um, as I mentioned, as odd as to say, I'm an elder here. I'm the least wise of our elders. I'll make that confession. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is while I'm somewhat being funny in that statement, I, I, I don't think that anyone here is is the epitome of wise. We all have our opportunities to gain more in that. Um, once again, though, I would encourage you to look at this as the fact that you can equip yourselves the same way we can equip ourselves. There's nothing that I have access to that you don't have access to. There's no wisdom that can be obtained through a position of office. There's no wisdom that can be attained anywhere except for through the law and that meditation. Another thing okay, maybe I should quit moving. Another thing that I, I that stuck out for me about this is as I look at the world around us, coming back to the the word wisdom, do we do we pursue it? Is wisdom truly out there? Or are we just working to obtain bits of knowledge? And I believe that wisdom's kinda at an all time low. Um, I think people want snippets of information. We want to work off of back to that idea of the fleeting, the, the idea that if wisdom were in the election, it'd be trailing both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, even Donald Trump's hair. Because the world around us is feeding off of a media soundbite. The world around us is feeding off of the quick, the, the instant. So what are we looking for? Are we looking for the instant fix? Are we looking for something that can only be fixed by that money that can give us that meal for today, or the money that can give us the house that we'd like, or the money that can buy us a pair of shoes, are we looking for the, etern- the, the idea of something long-standing, e- the eternal feeling that comes from a true law that can actually build us up, can grant us the riches beyond this world. As we look through um, and try to figure out how do we gain this wisdom, I believe Proverbs 1 answers it best. And if you look at Proverbs 1.9, it says the beginning of knowledge is this. And get this, it's fear of the Lord. 
Okay, so fear of the Lord in this passage is really referring to reverence. It's referring to an ultimate fear that draws you in, not draws you away. I think that's important to note. A lot of times we think of fear, we think of something that's going to push us farther and farther away, something that would, in effect, probably decrease our knowledge. This is an intimate fear. This is a fear that draws you in. It captivates you. It draws your soul. It becomes everything that you are. And in doing so, that's how you experience true knowledge and true wisdom. And that is because it has something bigger than just the knowledge. It has the relationship attached to it. So that brings us to the blank relationship. And so in these verses, they all reflect on the key elements of the law and wisdom. And it talks about your law, your commandment, your testimonies, your precepts, your word, and your rules. So if we think about this, this once again draws us all back to the, these, the words after it are important, but the first part is the your part, your. It's pointing to God. It's pointing to that relationship. As we know, David started out as a lowly shepherd, went through a lot of paces to get where he was, but all through the way, God was with him. It's evident throughout, it's evident throughout these passages, as we look at it further, that the relationship is what has offered him protection. In the passage here, we, look, we can look and see where it says, I hold back my feet from every weevil way in order to keep your word. So he was granted protection through God's word. What I think is interesting about this is it doesn't say that he was protected and then he thought about it. It says he thought about it because it was in him and was protected. Once again, that knowledge and wisdom comes from within. Um, it it talks about the fact that he turns aside from the rules. Um, he does not turn aside from the rules, for, um, for you have taught me those. So once again, the relationship is drawing him to obedience. The relationship is drawing him in to the law. It's not just a law built on fear of the law. It's a law built on fear or reverence of that relationship. As we look, okay, I didn't move that time. As we look further at this, um, if I were going to kind of sum up a lot of this information in here, I would basically say that the whole passage and the whole challenge in this is the idea of the relationship that comes with the with the wisdom. It's not just wisdom alone. It's not just the relationship alone. It's the two of them married together. It's important that we look at it that way as we go forward because. That's how David was protected. That's how David experienced protection. And that's also how David was happy and joyful as he meditated daily on it. It was a drawing together of that. This also is evident further in the passage where it talks about how sweet your words are to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I was looking at trying to understand this because in our world we, we live with a lot of different things. Sweetness of honey is always a nice thing. However, I felt like there must be more to it than just that. And when I looked at Matthew Poole's commentary on it, he brought up the fact that the study and obedience of thy words yields me more satisfaction and delight than any worldly men find in their sensual pleasures. We live off of our sensual pleasures too often, especially in this world. I mean, you look at commercialization of everything that's out there. Everything feeds in to what can gain us that pleasure immediately. 
what this is saying is, is that God's law is better, it's sweeter, it's more complete than any other pleasure out there. So I looked at this and, and I examined it from the aspect of trying to relate to the idea of happiness versus joy. I've, I've been in conversations lately that really seem to hone in on what's the difference between happiness and joy. I felt like this particular passage really honed in on the, what true joy is. Happiness oftentimes is fleeting. Joy isn't always fun. So how do you reconcile the two? Sandra Brown, who's a psychologist, I have a psychology background, but I found it interesting. She said happiness is external. It's based on situations, events, people, places, things, and thoughts. Happiness is connected to your hope for a relationship or your hope for a future or your hope for blank. Happiness is linked to that someday when I get to blank. She goes on to say that happiness is not joy because joy is not external. It can't be bought, and it's not conditional, or someone else's behavior. In fact, joy is not contingent on anything in order to exist. That's where she and I would differ. If you look at this a little further with the, the extreme sweetness of the words that comes in that brings true joy, the joy is the relationship with God. The joy is in the fact that you are seeking true wisdom with God. That is where we can experience more than just the fleeting happiness of today. So, okay. I'm going to anchor myself down a little bit more. So, as we can, I feel like I should be at a fun rock concert with all the feedback. Um, so as we continue to, to progress in, in through our service here, and as we move towards here in a few minutes toward the Lord's table, um, I'd like for you to think about this and reflect on this a little bit. If God's wisdom can grant us a godly relationship, holy love, a one-to-one relationship, God, me, God, you, one-to-one, holy justification, you're being made perfect, and wholly complete. And what I mean by that is, aside from Christ, we are riddled. We are the world around us. We are broken. However, with Christ, we are whole. Now let's come back to the blanks. Your answer today may be different than your answer next week. Your answer next week may be different than your answer next month. But what would you say your blanks are? After reading this passage, after reflecting on the idea of wisdom, what would you say this passage tells us about wisdom with God? The blank wisdom. The blank relationship. Some of you know Matt Lambert. Uh, he worshiped with us for a time. He's a good friend. Matt Lambert used to always refer to Christ is the Christ. At first I thought he was a little odd. I still think he's odd. However, he explained to me what he meant by the Christ. There is no other. There is no other word to explain it. It's complete. It's whole. There's nothing above it. Nothing can touch it. He is the Christ. In that, I believe that Christ gives us the wisdom 
no other wisdom can touch. What we find in our scripture can't be touched with Google. What we find through prayer can't be touched through any type of phone call. The relationship there is complete. There's no relationship more perfect. Relationships are tricky. We seek relationships all the time. If you're single, you're seeking the perfect spouse. If you're married, oftentimes you're seeking the perfect child. I have four. They're great, but they're not perfect. The only thing that's truly complete is what we have in Christ. Proverbs 4, I'd like to read here as we wrap, start to wrap up. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight. Before I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you, and and you should embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. You see, I believe that the law is intended for us to gain a greater picture of Christ on His throne. It's to gain a, gain a greater connection to the One who has not only created us, but can deliver us. And so... My challenge to you this week is to focus on your relationships, to focus on your meditations. Find out what consumes you. Find out what what it is that you're seeking. And if you're so inclined, I challenge you to read Psalm 119. See if it doesn't give you a little more insight into where it is that God would have you be, would have you go. So with that in mind, I'm going to kind of talk, wrap us up here as we begin to transition to, to the table and the remainder of our service. And just let you know that I know this was a summer mixtape series, and I know that I'm not a pastor. This was more of a B-side than anything else. Um, but just like my dad taught me all those years ago, the importance of hitting a nail square God has a plan for us, and the knowledge He's given us is much deeper than a fleeting moment. The knowledge He's given us is the knowledge to be driven home through the relationship with Him so that we can continue to share it in relationship with others. So seek wisdom in all you do. So now we're getting ready to transition to the table, and as we do so, I continue to encourage you to prepare your hearts for that part of his law, that moment that he gives us where we can draw close to him. Let me close this in prayer. Almighty God, your word is a lamp unto our feet. Your word is an instrument to my heart. Lord, your word is a guiding principle into our relationship. And I just pray that today, 
you will set us apart. You will draw us closer to you. I pray that we will feel, as David felt, the enthusiasm for your word and your law. And Lord, I do pray that with each passing moment of each day, Lord, that you will help us to meditate on things that are above us, not things around us. Help us to shine. Help us to seek you. And the only way we can shine is to seek you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.